You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Stephen Murray, and I'm here with a special guest. We have today the editor of our podcast, Joshua Manning. Joshua, how the heck are you? I'm doing good, Stephen. Do you realize you say that out after every episode? <laughs> well, I'm sure you do if you edit our podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Would, would you edit the same person every week for what we're going on a year now? <laughs> every single every single week, you're like, how the heck are you? And I'm like, yep, that's that's just Steven's catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I actually picked that up listening to another podcast called Keeping Up with the Joneses, Alan and AJ Jones from their, their in Tennessee, their pastors and listening to their podcast for years alan alan jones he always asks his wife how the heck are you and i was just like that's a great question it is i mean everybody deserves to be asked how are they doing right we actually did start with our director team something we call feelings check where we ask each other to to say two words that describe how you're feeling it has been the most difficult thing in the world to actually describe (laughs) the way that you're feeling and so Maybe you could say that asking how the heck are you in Texas, people usually just tell you that they're fine or they're good. But on our staff, we're trying to change that. We're like, I am disgruntled. I'm exhausted. I'm delighted. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're probably going to edit this part out of the podcast. Uh, but. <laughs> I don't know. We'll listen to it. And we'll find out. No, I but I agree with you on that. Like, maybe actually, let me ask you that question. How many how much of the podcast gets erased that people do not hear? Actually, you, it, well, it depends on how prepared you are, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not as much as most people would think. For the most part, it's filling out filter words like um and uh, and now I'm going to really regret this because I'm the one editing this podcast episode and uh, it's going to do that for me. Yeah, it's mostly just fil- filtering those out. Every once in a while, a host will say something like, oh, that's not exactly how I wanted that to come out, or I want to do that again, something like that. And we do have code words for that, so that in the software that I use to to uh, edit, I can yeah, just so go... Yeah, I so literally, I literally just say, Josh, 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 Josh. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> or the other one, believe it or not, is pineapple, is the, is the code word that I can... <laughs> because honestly, let's be real, how many conversations about pineapples do we have you know, in general, like it, it just doesn't happen. And so it's, it's just this whole finding that word that we, that nobody talks about. And so that we, I can go and look for that and be like, Oh, okay, there's a cut there. But yeah. <laughs> so by and large, I'd say in an hour long episode, it usually gets cut down to about 55 minutes. Once you cut out all the filler words. And then of course it can always be a little bit less than that, depending on, you know how well articulated a thought was do you usually cut out controversial jokes or i'm just wondering when i'm going to get canceled josh can you <laughs> can you give me any heads up on uh, what, whether whether i need to be censored you i have filtered a few things <laughs> i won't tell you which one they are on air because then you will get canceled uh <laughs> There, there have been a few things that you that you have said or another host has said that we're just like, mm, maybe that's not the best idea for the You Can Mentor podcast. And maybe there was a better wow. way to phrase that. And so uh, you, thank you, Josh, for covering me. You're welcome. I always run them past you. You know that. So <laughs> every once in a while, I'm just like, is this really what you meant to say that you're like, yeah, maybe not. I was like, OK, just checking. <laughs> that's what I thought. Josh, what is your favorite episode of the podcast? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say I really loved the TBRI episode with Lieutenant Wayland Cubitt. I think that's who hosted it, but it was like episode 137 or something like that. Uh, it came just at the perfect time. I, you have that off the top of your head. Yeah, episode 137. Not all of them. They're, <laughs> they're, I mean, that one I do because I actually just like went back and looked at that one recently. I was having a conversation with somebody. I was like, yeah, we just did a, a podcast episode on this. And so I went back and I looked at it. So 
I, I know it's in the 130s somewhere. I think it's 137, but it could be plus or minus one or two episodes off of that. But yeah, it's that one. I just, you know, I had just started getting into mentoring in my own in in my own way, taking on the the position at at Forerunner in their junior high program as a site Ooh, lead. It's it's 127. Ooh, hey, I got two of the three numbers. <laughs> so, but yeah, I had just taken on. Uh, the position at at forerunner and so you know i just we'll get into it here in a bit but like i'm not trained for this and so you know there was a lot of questions there and that one um, editing that episode just like was at the perfect time where i was like oh, okay this is this is where these kids are coming from and this is how i can approach this and and relate to them on their level as opposed to me just sitting there going i'm the adult and you're going to respect me and this is the way it is like that's yeah. just not effective. Yeah, man. I, I love that episode. So episode 127, when you get done with this one, just pull that one up. It's a trust-based relational intervention training with Amber given from Halo project in Oklahoma city. So yep, go for it. Yeah. It's a uh, great one. Josh Manning. So obviously you edit our podcast. You have some level of technical skill to do that. I know that you got your master's degree at SMU in lighting design but you also have av experience tell me how you started working at forerunner yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get to that i think we need to do a little bit of background so uh, originally i'm from salt lake city utah i knew or i got into theater in particular when i was a junior in high school right so we're going all the way back to to high school to for this story but yeah i knew that i wanted to be a lighting designer when i was a junior in high school and then i just went to school for that and and got my bachelor's degree in technical theater with lighting emphasis and then as i was graduating from college you know with with my bachelor's you know every young adult has to answer that question of okay now what right and so i you know just my senior year of of undergrad i was sitting there going well i have no real plans i hate my life i hate what i'm doing i know what i want to be doing but i don't feel like i'm adequately prepared for that to be successful right now and so i i started looking into the possibility of going to grad school and like just for the record this was God all the way, right? Because like I did not try to get into grad school like at all. <laughs> I did the bare minimum to get into grad school that I possibly could. You know, I was just kind of feeling it out, see what it was what it was about. And so I flew to Chicago, did grad school interviews with 19 schools in one day, which is absolutely insane. And then that March had a follow-up interview at SMU, not at SMU, over the phone with SMU. And in that follow-up, he was like, you know, I want to give you an offer. And he's like, but here's the deal. I need to know by Friday if you can, if you can make that decision by then. I was like, okay. So I had five days, right? I had five days to decide whether or not I was going to grad school. Now I'd never been to the campus. I'd never been to Dallas. I didn't know anybody in Dallas. I didn't even know where in Texas Dallas was. Like I legit <laughs> thought it was closer to Austin. And then, you know, just over that week, like I had five days and the more I thought about it, the more I was just like, I need to move to Texas. I don't know why I just need to move to Texas. So I did. I, I packed up in five months and quit my job making more money than a young 22 year old should and moved halfway across the country where I didn't know anybody. Right. And so started going to school at SMU and then like about six weeks later, I woke up on a Sunday and, you know, God, it's the only time I've ever clearly heard God's voice. He said, you said yes to moving down here when you go into church because I had stopped going to church when I was in, in Utah. And I was like, well, it's 1230 on a Sunday. So I guess next week. <laughs> <laughs> And I spent that day, I literally Googled churches near me and was looking to find one and found Antioch and listened to a couple of Zach's, Zach's sermons. I was like, yeah, I, I could see myself going here. Went to the early service the next week and never went anywhere else. I was just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then <laughs> that week I met, I met you, Stephen, right? You know, it was, I went in started, you know, building that whole new community 
and you know just starting meeting people and they're like you know what do you do and i was like well i'm a student at smu oh cool you know we have an sm or a life group at smu right and i was like yeah i've heard and they're like let me introduce you to steven sure let's do it and that's where steven and i really became friends and got to know each other was through life group because he was in the college ministry at that time and then shortly after that you left and went to forerunner and it's kind of i've just kind of been in your sphere of influence steven right you know i've all, i've told you this before but in many ways that first year of uh, me being in texas you were mentoring me even though you didn't realize that you were mentoring me i was in mm -hmm. such need of community and guidance and godly influence by people that like i was just drawn to you and and you know how you lived your life and just related to people and so through that you and i have just stayed friends flash forward i've graduated grad school and now i have to answer the question again what are, what are you doing with your life but i was more prepared this time because a i knew that it was coming up and b i had really grown in the last three years of being in texas in like pursuing god wanting to do what he his calling on my life was and and things like that and so you know it's about three times a year now where i just i start going through that process and praying in my quiet times okay god what are we doing now you know and it, it kind of follows the school year seasons where it's like fall semester kind of in late july beginning of august i start praying that and and get vision for the fall semester and then kind of early november mid-december around christmas kind of i start praying for the the spring semester and then as the school year's wrapping up i start praying about the summer and figuring out what does that mean and what does that look like and it's just been this weird rhythm that i've gotten into that seems to work for me so that's where I'd been at. I was weird, weird rhythm or wise rhythm. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a <laughs> rhythm. I'm not sure which one it is, but it works for me. Right. And so I, you know, as I was graduating, I'd started that and didn't really have a vision for the summer and was just trying to do it on my own. Right. Of like driving Uber and Lyft. I was working ridiculous hours driving around the Metroplex and things like that. And then at the end of July, you you called me and literally said the words i have nobody else to go i need you to chaperone a bunch of students <laughs> to a <laughs> summer camp in san antonio and i was just like okay steven just <laughs> cards on the table like this is where we're at i need to come up with twelve hundred dollars in the next four days to pay my rent and i have no idea how i'm gonna make that happen like i want to say yes I just, I can't, like, I can't leave because this is all I know of how to make that happen. And so you and I worked through some details. Turns out I was able to go and chaperone these students. And yeah, from there, Darius offered me the job, you know, while we were at camp. And I spent the next week going, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> is this really what I'm called to be doing? I thought I was called to be a lighting designer. How does this work into that plan? And how does this make sense? And after, I mean, I had a lot of conversations that week. I, I talked with my ex executive pastor. I talked with you. I talked with my parents. I talked, I, I talked with so many different people in that, in that week, which again, I had a week to decide on whether or not to take this thing that totally seems out of character for me. So apparently I, that's just what I, need to do now is make decisions in a week for things that are completely <laughs> out of character for me i don't know but yeah so i had a week to decide whether or not to take this position at forerunner and spent a lot of time praying about it i was in a lot of pain because i was so confused about it but within that god just met me there and was like this is what you're doing and i'm calling you know you need to sacrifice the thing that you thought you were going to do so accepted the offer and that's kind of how i got into into mentoring junior high students in a group setting. It's a great story. I love it. And I love the threads of like how God has called you to respond and from Utah to your time at SMU to you cultivating this rhythm of obedience and asking him what his will for your life is, but then also your willingness to jump in and meet needs. That's always what I've seen you do at, at Antioch and just, just in general, you've, you've been a, a man who always is willing to jump in and do what's needed, 
do it excellently and learn in the process, even if it's not necessarily what you're skilled at. It's like you have a master's degree in lighting, but God is calling you to do all these other things that that don't relate. And yet you've yeah. been faithful to to grow in those things. And that's that's what I've seen in in my time with you, Josh. Yeah. And I mean, a large part of that was very, very early on when I started serving at Antioch, which, you know, it's no surprise. I serve on the worship and production team at Antioch, right? Like, again, that's what I'm let trained me, let for. Let me guess. Let me guess. Do you do, you, uh, do the lighting for the, <laughs> the Sunday Dude, morning services? I do it all. Um, like, pick something <laughs> back there and I do it at this point. Yes, I started with lighting, but it's kind of morphed into I run slides, I run sound, I do live stream direct. I do all. I do it all. But yeah, no, or very, very early on, it was probably within the first couple of months of serving, they had started presenting like our serve team values, right? And, you know, these things that these are what we want to see in our serve teams. And one of them was, I'm literally quoting here, one of them is we were, we are owners, not renters. And for whatever reason, that just stuck with me, right? And it's this idea that we, whatever you do, and it comes from that verse, I think it's in Galatians, I could be wrong, but it's that verse of, you know, finally brothers, whatever you do, like do it for the glory of God, right? And so the idea behind we're owners, not renters is whatever you're going to do, like own it, right? You know, we, we're not here to just live our lives and, and exist and then we die and then, you know, go to heaven or hell. It's like, no, we are here for a purpose. And God puts things in our lives for a purpose. And yeah, you may not understand what that is at the time. But as long as you have a yes in your heart, like that's all that matters. Because, you know, nobody's ever regretted saying yes to God. Right. So wow. yeah, it's just this idea of, you know, whatever you do, do it with excellence. And so for me, I just latched onto that and I was like, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to, what I'm going to do, whatever I do, whether it's what I thought I was called to do or not, I'm going to give it my 100%. I'm going to commit to doing it the best I possibly can. And am I going to make mistakes? Yeah, but that's because I'm human. Everybody makes mistakes, right? And that's how wisdom is gained is through learning and learning, but also seeing how different situations in the past apply to the current. And so, yeah, that's just kind of where that comes from is this idea of we're owners, not renters. Such a good word. Whatever you do, do it all in the, in what, what does it say? Do it all. Oh man, I'm going to name it, it in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, do it all for, do it all for the glory of God. Yeah. I think it's finally brothers, whatever you do, whether it's so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yeah, mm. it's First Corinthians ten thirty one. I don't. I don't think that's it. I, I think it's Colossians. Colossians three seventeen. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to the God the Father. The First Corinthians one sounds like whether you you eat meat or you don't eat meat, go ahead and do it, but do it for Jesus, which is a little more like talking to gentiles and jews same difference yeah the point is whatever you do do it for the glory of god right <laughs> put god first and that's really all that matters because he's never it. gonna let you fall so that's good yeah i i love the, what you said you said no one's going to regret doing what god asked them to do no one's gonna regret following god doing what he says to do and i i i just love I love that. So now you are, you've served for almost a year in Forerunners after school program for junior high students. You've been a group mentor to them. You've walked them through curriculums, a discipline process. Uh, I've written some curriculum. Yeah. You've, I I mean, you face difficulty, I'm assuming. Um, Almost every day. Yeah. (laughs) But you've also grown to appreciate the boys that you've invested your life in. And I, I wonder if you could share any stories from from your experience being a group mentor and, and what you've learned over this last year. Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is that appreciate isn't a strong enough word. Appreciate is like having a fondness for of like, oh, I appreciate the sun, right? And these relationships go deeper than that, right? Like, yeah, maybe the first weekend I would have said appreciate, but after... A, 
almost an entire school year of seeing these kids five days a week for two hours a day and and literally pouring 100% of myself into every single kid simultaneously. Appreciate isn't the word. The word is love, right? And yeah, so that's the first thing I wanted to clarify. The second thing that I would say is, or just share is, yeah, some stories. So the first week, man, the first week was really interesting. This is one of the clearest ones. And we, so we have a student in the junior high who is in seventh grade and he's been in program for, I think a couple of years now. And all of the K through six coaches know him. They love him. He's a very talkative student, right? And he's very nat- like curious, naturally curious. And like this kid just was going to keep me on my toes the entire year. And I could feel that just the first, first time he talked to me. So (laughs) he gets on the van when we pick them up from school and doesn't say anything to me, like not even a word, doesn't even acknowledge my presence. Right. And we get the program, I get them all checked in and then he comes up to me to start asking questions. And do you have any guesses what his first question for me was, Stephen? When is when are we going to get to play basketball? No, actually, he doesn't play a lot of bla- basketball. No, his question wasn't when are we going to get to play basketball. It wasn't who are you, what's your name. It wasn't how old you are, where are you from, like all of those normal like get to know you questions. No, his very first question, the very first thing he said to me, "Why did you pick this job?" <laughs> I'm just sitting there going. Okay, I guess we're really going there. <laughs> and yeah, so he like I answered that question and then it literally has just not stopped. Like he has just every every day he's there he's asked at least 10 questions from me. Some of them are completely nonsensical and just, you know, being curious and some of them are actually really really deep. Like we've had conversations about cryptocurrency, like everywhere from cryptocurrency to what it means for God to love humans and what would happen if like we didn't we didn't have a relationship with God if he had never sent Jesus you know all of those different things like the the there is no like ends of the spectrum of the questions it is just <laughs> whatever is on his mind he's going to ask and then i have to sit there and figure out how to answer these questions and sometimes like i don't know the answer and that's okay right is just to say hey you know what I don't know the answer, but I know somebody who might, and let me, let me check with them and I'll get back to you. Okay. Like that's what kids, especially curious kids, that's what they want. That's what they're craving is like, they build relationship through asking questions. They build relationship through, through knowledge and not so much through doing activities and like asking questions and kind of this battle of like, how much do you really know? Like that is. That's how they build relationship. And that's his need. On the flip side, I have other students and, you know, they're very, very physical, right? Like they want to play basketball. They want to play football. They want to like, they are just like super hyperactive and they don't do well just sitting down for a lesson time. And so you got to find ways to, to, to engage them for 20, for a 20 minute lesson and figure out how to engage them. And so we've started doing things like, letting them run slides or giving them a task during the lesson so that, you know, it, it kind of forces them to pay attention. We, we've got kids from all of the, all, all kinds of those spectrums. And so, you know, each, when you're mentoring in a group mentoring role, you've got to figure out how to pour 100% of yourself into however many students you have that day. You know, for example, we had nine students today in program. That if you're pouring 100% of yourself into each student, that's 900%. Like that math doesn't work, right? So it's like, how do you how do you do that? And I don't know that I have a good answer for that. It's other than you just have to be present, right? Like if you show up and you're saying, you know, you walk into the space and you have nine students and one of them wants to ask you a bunch of questions while the other one wants to play basketball, like you figure out how to play basketball while answering questions. That's what you do. And so, yeah, the key is really just be present and have that that openness and that yes in your heart, right? And that's, I think, the thing that really set me up for being able to do this was being an owner, not a renter, right? And, yeah. and just coming into it with, I have a yes, I have a yes in my heart. So 
whatever these kids need, we're going to do, right? I'm going to meet those needs, whatever they are, however I can. And do I do this perfectly? No. There are days that I come away and I was like, yeah, I didn't handle that situation correctly. For example, a story about that was we had a kid who unfortunately is no longer in our program because he moved, but he and I battled wills a lot, right? Where he had very little respect for me and for the rules of the program and things like that. And there was, I, I don't remember exactly what had happened, but it got to that point where I had to send him home for the day and I, had, I actually had to suspend him. And, you know, it, it became this very heated thing between him and I, uh, we both kind of went limbic. We let kind of the animal part of our brain take over rather than sticking with the, the cognitive part of it. You just, did you just say went limbic? I did. That's yeah. That's been a whole thing that I've been learning over the last year or so is this idea of like what parts of your world, your prefrontal cortex processes and what parts your limbic system processes. So limbic is very much like the, the thoughts and like the feelings and the neural pathways that are instinctual for you. And the prefrontal cortex is that higher reasoning of like, oh, two plus two is four. So more often than not, our conscious thought occurs in our prefrontal cortex. But when we when when we get triggered, it's called going limbic. And that part is taking over. And those are those predefined reflexes. It's where fight, fight, flight or freeze comes from. It's it's where all those things come from. And so in that particular instance, he and I had both gone limbic at that point. I had lost control of what I was trying to, I had lost control of thinking about the, the end goal that I was trying to accomplish. And he was just responding to my anger with more anger. And so Mm -hmm. it had, it had escalated to the point where I had to suspend him and came, came away that night after everybody had gone home. And I was just sitting there going, what just happened and trying to process it and look back at what happened. And in talking with my boss and kind of processing what had gone down, we both kind of realized that I didn't handle that appropriately. And so we actually reversed his suspension of Lenin in program the next day because we had both realized that I was really the one in fa- at fault there. And had I actually handled that in a healthier way, then a resolution could have been achieved. So wow. that was very humbling to go back the next day and, say, and apologize to a 14-year-old and say, hey, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Your your consequence has been lifted. You're welcome in program today. Yeah, that's a humbling experience. But at the same time, I think that in and of itself builds so much relationship when the adult is apologizing to the kid, right? Because then the wow. kid is going, oh, like, A, it's okay to apologize. And B, like, he's setting his ego aside because he cares about me and wants me in program and wants to build yeah. that relationship. Yeah. That's powerful, man. How how did he respond to that? He, was he just like, cool? Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's how 13 and 14 year olds react. I think, I mean, the fruit of that was seen more in the long term than in the short term. Like, yeah, in the moment, he, was, he just kind of responded with cool over the next few few weeks to a month or so. Like, I could see that level of respect had grown a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I love, I love it, man. And I've experienced the same thing. Like apologizing to kids is a, like you experience grace yourself because we know when we mess up and when we get angry or get frustrated and don't treat them like kids, we treat them like, like adults. And it's like, you're a kid. I should not have said that or done that or or even if as a mentor like you don't do something you you say you're going to do apologizing is always the right way to go and you'd be surprised how much that experience is foreign to a child and so modeling modeling humility and and asking for forgiveness that's huge man i i mean i've i've watched you try to console kids who were angry or like i remember there was one point where a kid got hit in the head with a basketball and everybody laughed and he started laughing too and then he realized oh my gosh everybody's laughing at me and then he just stormed off in frustration and i remember seeing you and you just looked me in the eyes and you were like what the heck and i i mean just so many moments where kids are 
having a breakdown and you're trying to sit them down, look them in the eyes and help them process what they're, what they're experiencing. I don't, I don't know if you can share things that you've learned in, in that process of being there when the stuff's hitting the fan, when, when a kid's yeah, having, having a moment in how mentors should respond. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I would say don't go limbic that's what you would say yes that that would be the first (laughs) rule is don't go limbic and when a kid is crying like when they're when they're having a breakdown like it's easier not to go limbic because at that point your heart is just full of compassion for them right you can see where where they're coming from you know they can see you know why they're hurting like when they're hurt it's it's different like it's really easy not to go limbic but when they're having a breakdown because you know you irritated them or something like i mean like today literally one of my kids called me a snitch today because i had a conversation with his mom yesterday about the disrespect that had been happening and those those ones are a little bit more like they're a little bit trickier to knock olympic but yeah when a kid is hurting like all you're all you're feeling is compassion for them right you're you're seeing in some cases you're seeing yourself in them like that that was my story as as a 13 and 14 year old as i was bullied pretty heavily by by my class and i went to a private lutheran school i had a class of 24 or 25 in the seventh and eighth grade right it wasn't like a a normal junior high school where you have 500 kids in the seventh grade no like i i had 25 and i had of that 25 i had one friend everybody else either was indifferent or hated me and so in those instances where you know like you were talking about the kid who had been hit in the head with a basketball and and just kind of started having a breakdown like i saw myself in that right i saw like that was very much me going i can i can empathize with how you're feeling because that was me i know how you're feeling and so and and my response to that was not so much you know get up you know get up brush it off it's no big deal it was what do you need from me right like what what do i wish i had when if that had happened to me what do I wish I had? What do I wish an adult had done for me if that if I were you? And and f- trying to figure that out. And it's tricky. I mean, when you're in the moment, like s- some of it's just instinctual. You just got to go with whatever you can think of in the moment on like how best to respond. And then you come away from it and you self-evaluate and you're like, okay, this worked, this didn't work. But some of it is also just listening, right? And that's, I think the number one piece of advice that I would give is if you are mentoring, whether it's in a group mentoring situation with, you know, eight eight to 10 or 12 or however many kids you have, or it's a one-on-one mentoring situation, listen to the kid, right? They will tell you what they need, even if they don't think that, they're telling you what they need even if they're like oh he's not going to do anything like even that is telling you something it's telling you that they don't trust adults and so you've got to figure out how to build that trust whether that's mm-hmm. playing basketball with them whether it's playing uno whether it's just giving them some space for a minute to calm down process on their own and then you revisit and you say hey can you tell me what's going on right how are you feeling right now? It's asking open-ended questions. It's ask, it's asking questions that can't be met with a yes or no. So rather than saying, are you feeling sad right now? It's, can you, can you tell me how you're feeling right now? And sometimes the answer is no, I can't tell you what you're feeling. And then you kind of start asking more pointed questions of like, okay, if you can't tell me what you're feeling, I, I can see you're crying. Are you sad? Well, kind of. Okay. What are you sad about? What's causing, what's making you sad? And you would think that 13 and 14 year olds know what they're feeling, but I mean, they're going through puberty. Like they, I just, I started this podcast talking about, I don't know what I'm feeling. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm 27 years old and I don't usually know what I'm feeling. Right. Like my, my level of emotional awareness is not at all where it should be, but you know, like if we, if we as adults can't identify how we're feeling half the time, why do we think a 13 or 14 year old can Right. So the question or the the trick is not, can you tell me what you're feeling? It becomes trying like hunting through those clues together and Mm -hmm. kind of processing it together and saying, okay, what's going on? And then you can come back once they've started describing, oh, you know, so-and-so did this and this and this. And you're like, okay, so how does that make you feel? Right. What is, what, 
what are you feeling inside, whether you have a word for it or not? Like, can you describe to me what you're feeling? And then you can start, you know, once you start having that conversation, it gets to that point of, yeah, you know, okay, how do we move forward? Exactly. Once you have language, then you can find a way forward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like the, the book of Psalms is King David. It's Asaph. It's Moses. Moses has some Psalms. It's them expressing the extent, like the, the, the pole, like the extremity of what they feel, either great sorrow or great joy. And in that process of, of moving and defining how I actually feel and going there and putting language to it is usually what happens in the Psalms is that it's a corrective experience where you actually acknowledge what's going on in your heart. And then it leads to trust because it, in a way, I I guess in the scripture, in the Psalms, I just finished reading a book about it. And when you express the emotion that you're feeling and then you entrust it to God and allow him to, to take care of it, or at least acknowledge where you're at. It's cathartic. It it allows you to let go of it. If you can express what it is, you can let go of it and move on. And I I think that same thing happens with all of our boys and us. As soon as someone asks us about something traumatic we've gone through or how our day went, if we can put words to it, it allows us to let it let it go. I yeah. I just love that, Josh. It does. And I'm glad that you brought up the book of Psalms. I've I've kind of been reflecting on that over the last, I don't know how long, last year. So the year of 2021, I I started this journey in January through December of reading through the Bible in a year. And a large part of that had to do with, like, I'd never read the entire Bible. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm, I say I'm a Christian. I should probably know what's in the Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but within that journey, I had realized that two of my absolute favorite books, ironically, are Proverbs and Psalms. And I say ironically because I am not a very poetic person. In fact, I really don't like poetry all that much. But Proverbs and Psalms, because of the the wisdom within Proverbs, but the the emotional rawness that's in Psalms in the book of, you know, and and I mean there's 150 Psalms, right? There's a psalm for pretty much everything, like every possible feeling that you have in one form or fashion. And I I've started doing this thing that when like if I'm up in the middle of the night because I'm anxious or my mind is racing at a thousand miles an hour trying to process this this thing that happened that day that I never really made time or space to process then I end up awake at 4:30 in the morning. It's like you can almost set an alarm for it. Like I am awake at 4:30 in the morning and I can't go back to sleep. And the only thing that I found that really helps that is by reading the Psalms because the beauty of them and the language within them gives me that space to go, Oh, this is what I'm feeling. Uh And then I can go and say, you know, and take that into prayer and say, God, I'm struggling. Like, this is what I'm feeling. This Psalm is what I'm feeling right now. And I need your help. This morning we had, we had staff prayer, right? And like the last last three weeks has been hard for me. I just I've had a, a bunch of other stuff going on outside of program that has kind of been weighing on me. In fact, one of them is this video project that I'm waiting to render right now. And it's an hour and a half in and has four and a half more hours to go. But like that's been weighing on me. And I was just drawn to Psalm 23. Right. And I think it's verse three. It's even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Right. Like that is that is just a comfort to me at that point is just this idea of even when stuff hits the fan, God is there. And then I would argue God is there more so than, you know, if you're having the best day of your life, because those are the moments when we realize I can't do this on my own as much as I want to, I can't. And I have to rely on our father. Mm -hmm. That's good, man. I hadn't thought about it, but because you mentioned it, like the the distinction between Proverbs and Psalms, like Proverbs is very, like you do this, you get this, and you don't do this, then you're wise. Like, so it's, it's all about wisdom 
like being wise versus being a fool to an extent and, we should clarify that proverbs is not guaranteed promises <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's these principles and and i would say that for the most part if you were to put those two books in front of somebody and ask them which one is is important for mentoring i i would imagine most people would say well proverbs clearly because in mentoring you're trying to teach somebody hey when you do this, this is what happens. And it's all, I mean, kind of matter of fact, principle oriented. That's what people think about when they think of mentoring. They don't necessarily think about my job as a mentor is to help you process your emotions, to get real with God, to get real with me, and to get comfortable doing that. And being willing to expose yourself, to be vulnerable, to be transparent about all the stuff that's going on that no one can see on the inside so that you can become a whole person. Like what is the, the scripture? God desires truth in our innermost being. He's not, he's not just wanting to put principles there. He's wanting to really redefine and help us clarify who we really are. And we can't do that without emotions. We can't do that without processing those internal battles and bringing what's, what's hidden into the light. I mean, that's, that's just a, a huge thing that I, I think mentoring is is just as much about the Psalms as it is the Proverbs. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I had this thought while you were while you were just talking right now is mentoring. You, you kind of said like mentoring. It, a lot of people think mentoring is more like the Proverbs, where it's it's transactional, right? It's this idea of I'm teaching you how to do X, Y, and Z, and. Well, and that's literally what it is. It's like well, Solomon to, teaching his son. Yeah, to an extent, to an extent it is. But at the same time, like you can't teach somebody how to do anything if you don't have a relationship with them, right? Like that's why Forerunner's primary value is what? Relationships change lives, right? It's it's this idea of, yeah, we're, we're connecting students with one-on-one -on -one mentors and we're inserting father figures into these kids lives who don't have them but when those matches happen what is the first thing they do it's not i'm going to teach you how to change a tire it's let's go shoot some hoops right it's building those relationships and once those relationships are built that's what builds that trust and that's what allows me to say oh hey steven i'm feeling this can you help me do this or hey i need to do this and i don't know how can you help me right like if if a student doesn't trust you it doesn't matter what you're gonna say right like they're not going to listen to you you have to build that relationship first and that comes mostly from processing emotions right and that's where the psalms comes in and and putting words to those things and you know just an example of this at the beginning of the year we had a student who's still here, but we had a student who like I had very little relationship with like granted, I had very little relationship with most of the students and at the beginning of the year because I had met them a week <laughs> before. But this this particular student had like very, very little respect for me. Right. I was just some random person who showed up and started working at Forerunner to him. And there was a lot of discipline issues with him out of the gate, right? He was testing those limits. This is a student had been around or been in program for, I think three years or something like that. So, you know, we knew that he knew the expectations, but he was, he was very much testing what is, what is coach Josh going to stick to and what is he going to let slide? And that just led to a lot of discipline issues in the first couple of months or whatever. And then flash forward to I think it was February, just, you know, just a couple months ago, he had tried out for the track team. He had actually made it on the track team, but he wasn't allowed to compete because other students had, had edged him out of the rankings. And so he wasn't allowed to compete. And he walked to program that day because he was at practice and walked in. And I was just like, hey, how I'm trying not to use his name. I was like, hey, man, how's it going? And he was just like, I'm angry, which was huge for him. Like he's he doesn't usually talk about his emotions like that. He wasn't usually able to articulate what he was feeling. He just would act out, right? He would kick a chair over or he'd kick a trash can or something like that. And yeah, there was a little bit of that, but 
it wasn't at the level that it normally does that causes those discipline issues. Like he was able to say, I'm angry. This is what happened. And I just need some time to cool down. And I was like, cool. I appreciate you telling me that there's a chair over there. I can make sure that you have some space to yourself to just calm down. And if, if, and when you want to have a conversation, I'm here, pull me aside. Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it and figure out what our next steps are. And you know, that's just one story. We've had several students who were that way. So that's awesome, man. I love it. I mean, we, I, I think our, one of our hopes is to help our boys, not just emotionally, but also spiritually that, that we would in a way spur them on to a relationship with God and help them to, to experience him, to, to hear the gospel and in a way model faith in Jesus for them. I want, I wonder if you could share any stories of as, as a group mentor, what does it look like for you to lead these boys spiritually and what fruit have you seen from, from the practices that you you've been a part of? Yeah. So in the junior high program, which is a little bit different than K through six. So K through six has like dedicated Bible time. I think it's like 30 minutes a day where the coaches are teaching Bible stories. They're, you know, whatever, like they're teaching dedicated, it's dedicated Bible time. We don't have that quite as much in the junior high for whatever reason. It's just not the way our, our, our particular program is structured, but you know, we are still a ministry. And so we are still trying to shepherd them in, in that. And so for us, what we have is what's called my 10 time, which is more trying to teach them and build this rhythm of having dedicated one-on-one quiet time with the Lord. And so it's from 420 to 430 Mondays and Tuesdays. And it's just this idea of, okay, we're doing, we're doing my 10 time and here's go get your journal, go find a spot by yourself. We state the expectation every single day that we do it of it's my 10 time. So phones are down, laptops are closed, earbuds are out. There is no talking, go get your journal, find a spot to yourself. And here's your prompt, right? And the prompt is different every day. And I think like this week's was, I think one of the prompts this week was why is it important to listen to others or something like that? But the idea is it's building this rhythm of intentionally taking time to be with the Lord, to pray, to process, to, to just have a quiet time. And then outside of that, you know, we have man manhood time on Monday, which is teaching them like what it, like things like what it means to be a man. So, you know, things like talking about gangs or talking about, being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, you know, things like that. And so that usually has a lot of biblical knowledge laced into it. And yeah, it's just, it's the, the structures we have in the junior high for spirituality are things where we had to figure out how to get it into their rhythm without them knowing, because they don't have much of an interest in it naturally. And that just part comes with being a, a young teenager in junior high yeah being in junior <laughs> high and so we had to find ways to sneak it in without them realizing it so it's things we've started doing like the verse of the week where we write it on the board and then on mondays before we do manhood time i erase it and have the verse scrambled up on index cards and they got to put it in order right or the other thing we've started really doing is Bible word searches. Like I go, I literally go online and Google free Bible word search and I print one off every single day. And they, you know, if they're the first person to finish the word search, then they get trolleys. If they're the second or third person, they get an extra snack, right? Like it's, it's creating, it's like incentivizing them to do these, this activity that is biblically oriented and they don't realize it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's kind of how we do it. But all of that leads to being able to have one-on-one conversations with them and having more in-depth conversations. Like just a few weeks ago, I think it was the week before spring break, we had just kind of, I mean, it was the week before spring break. So we, we have church on Fridays and we go over to K through six and we have a church service where one of the coaches preaches on a topic. Like I preached last week and my topic was Jesus is healer. So I gave a whole 15 minute sermon on, Jesus being a healer and what that looked like and how that applied in our lives today. But in this particular instance, we had gone to church 
And we had started the day with three students in program, which is already a challenge in junior high is like they're, they have some independence that can choose whether or not they want to show, want to, want to show up to program. And when it's the day before spring break starts, like not many people want to show up. So we had three students, two of them left in the middle of church because they got picked up early. So at, by the time church ended, we had one student and we finished church. We went back across to our building and we had just kind of myself, the grade coach under me and the student just kind of had like really intentional conversation about about God, really, and about what he believed, why he believed it. We you know, corrected some things in, in his in, you know, what he believed, you know, some viewpoints that weren't quite theologically accurate. And, you know, it just it. It was a really good, sweet moment of being able to connect relationally on a deeper level where we can we can just relate to each other and we can talk about God. And I've done that with a, a lot of my students. Like, that's the goal for me is, you know, because we are a ministry, it's like, how do I first, how do I get God into your life? And how do I, you know, how do I get you reading the Bible without you realizing you're reading the Bible? But it's also like, how do I pave that road so that maybe not right now, but a week from now or a month from now, you and I can sit down and we can have a conversation about what you believe, why you believe it and how we grow from there. Like that's, that is a goal for me. And so, and a, a large part of that is like, that's a heavy weight to carry. Cause I got to make sure that what I'm saying is theologically accurate. So it's not like I can't get away with not doing a quiet time every day. I got to do that to make sure that, mm. you know, the, the words, the words of the word play on words there. Uh, the words of the word are written on my heart so that in that moment, like I can pull that up. Yeah. Yeah. You have something in the tank, mm -hmm. which I, I mean, I, I appreciate even just what you're saying of when you're working with kids, they're not always going to want to do what you want to do or the activity that you've kind of set out And junior high students can be indifferent. They can be antagonistic to, what, what you're trying to accomplish, but they can also be receptive and show hunger. And a, a lot of that is really on the mentor to really create an environment that is attractive, that, that really entices you to participate. And I know you found a lot of activities that have been very fruitful in helping, helping students take their first steps in starting a relationship with God. And it might not be opening up a John MacArthur Bible commentary and yeah. talking about eschatological presuppositions and whatever. Yeah. I don't think it, that it, would work, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it can be a beautiful thing when you give prompts and invite the Holy spirit to, to meet with you, even as a, a, a kid who just is sitting quiet and inviting God into the room and, uh, establishing those practices, any spiritual discipline has to start somewhere. Yeah. And, and it takes effort. And, mm -hmm. and, and so the, the personal ownership where owners, not renters is the same thing you're trying to establish in them is like, this can't always be you walk in here and you tell, we tell you what to do and you just listen. This has to be, you get some skin in the game and learn, learn how to, to do this on your own. And, and create that as a personal rhythm. And I, I think that's what, that's what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I love that, Josh. And it, and it pays off or pays off too. like, you're planting those seeds and then you're watering that garden. And, you know, it may not be six months down the road when you're still mentoring this kid, even in a group mentoring uh, situation, like it may not happen when you're there. Right. But you're planting those seeds and that is starting to grow. And so you, you know, you look back, what is it, April now, you look back to August and you're sitting there going like, how am I going to make this happen? Especially as somebody who is not trained in child development at all. You look, you're at, in August, you're, I was sitting there going like, how do I, how do I do this? And then flash forward all the way to April and I'm sitting there, I'm still asking, how do I do this? But I have a year of, of wisdom there that I've gained and I've been planting those seeds. And now now one of my students wants to get baptized and we had an entire conversation what like a week and a half ago about 
what is baptism? What does it mean to be baptized? What is, why do we get baptized? Things like that, right? Wouldn't have had that conversation in October when he started program because he didn't trust Mm -hmm. me then. I hadn't planted those seeds, but you know, now he wants to get baptized because he realizes that he needs God and that a large part of that had to do with four. He's even said to me, forerunner makes me a better person. And those are the, those are the stories that keep you going, right? When, when you're having a hard day, whenever all of your students have been on one and you're, you end the day and you're just sitting there going, what just happened? Like you sit there and you think about those wins and you celebrate those wins of this kid wants to get baptized because of Mm -hmm. the, because of the investment I've put in him. He wants to give his life to God and he wants to get baptized and he wants to be a better person. Like that's what makes it worth it is getting to see that. And again, that may not happen, you know, six months into the, into investing them in them. It may not happen at all when you're investing in them. It might happen two years after your guys's formal mentoring relationship ended, but you can take heart in knowing that you're the one who planted that seed and that God watered that and everything is perfect in his time. Yeah. That's good, man. Josh, do you have any encouragement you'd like to give to a mentor out there who's been listening to the podcast that you've edited for the last, I mean, almost two years now. Are we coming up on two years now? I, I, think, I think we I are. Think you editing the podcast is definitely. Yeah. Cause I think we were in double digits when we started editing and we're almost to 200 now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Words of encouragement. I would say my biggest word of encouragement is not so much geared at the person who is already mentoring but is geared at the person who isn't mentoring, right? Like the the title of this podcast is you can mentor. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from my story is that anybody can mentor, right? Like it, it comes back to another thing that we teach or that I, that I teach as I'm training people in our production team at church, I can teach you what you need to know. What I can't teach you is the desire to serve. Right. Mm. And so for those who are already mentoring, they already like they have the desire to serve. And if that's you, great, keep going, right? You're just keep running that race because it will pay off. Again, you might not see the fruit of that during the formal part of your mentorship. But one day, if you keep pressing in, if you keep putting God in the center of the relationship, like you're you're going to see that that fruit. But if you're not, if you are somebody who just got sent this, this episode by somebody who is mentoring and you're not sure that you want to start mentoring or that you're even qualified to start mentoring. I think my word of encouragement is twofold. One is me just literally telling you through my story and my experience that yes, you can mentor. Anybody can mentor. Like you can be taught how to mentor. What can't be taught is that desire. And the second thing that I would point out is the story of Moses and Exodus. Uh, and, and just this idea that God revealed himself to Moses through a burning bush and said, you're going to go to Egypt, you're going to free my people, and then you're going to lead them to the promised land. And Moses was sitting there going like, you got the wrong person, right? I'm not good at talking. I'm not good at doing this, that, or the other thing. And those are all lies that I believed when I started mentoring too, was I I'm not trained in child development. I don't know how to interact with children. And I was like, even at the time I was like, I'm not even sure that I like children, (laughs) 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 but the experience has been again, having that yes in your heart, right? Like that's the part that you need to get to is get to that point where you set aside your ego and set aside, you know, this is how this is going to go and just say, okay, God, I'm along for the ride. Whatever's going to happen. I don't know what you got planned, but let's do it. Once you do that, it's going to be hard, but it's also going to be so rewarding. So if you're, if you're thinking about mentoring, if you got sent this episode from somebody who is mentoring and you're not a mentor and you're like, I'm not qualified to do this, that's okay. Like you don't have to be qualified to be a mentor. There's no such thing as being qualified, quote unquote, to being a mentor. All you have to do is be willing to show up, pour into this kid and teach them, well, first build relationship with them, build that trust, learn to help or learn how to help them 
process their emotions. But then you just got to keep showing up because that's really all they want is somebody who will keep showing up, who will fight in their corner for them and just be willing to cheer them on because that's really all we want, even adults. Come on. That is Josh Manning, the editor of the You Can Mentor podcast. The reason you are able to listen to this every week, every Thursday. Josh, thanks for your investment in mentors and in personally being a mentor. I think it it honestly is really cool that the editor of this podcast is himself now a mentor of Kids from Hard Places in the name of Jesus. And I... Yeah, I, I just love I love your story and your encouragement to people out there. So if you want to connect with Josh Manning, you can find him on his website. He started his own company, his own lighting design, videography. I mean, sound he, engineering, he does, podcast editing, like he does all the things. Pick something creative. I do it. Josh Manning designs. I would hire this guy real quick. And I already did. So would recommend twice. Five stars. You hired me twice. <laughs> <laughs> one is a mentor and one is a podcast yes. editor. Josh, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Stephen. And I'm gonna take I'm gonna take your outro because I can. Um, <laughs> if you didn't hear anything else in this episode, hear this: you can mentor. Come on, come on! I'm sure you've heard that a lot. Oh yeah, <laughs> like once an episode. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you can mentor. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks.